We're in Luke chapter uh, 17 this morning. So we're going to read this and uh, then I want to go back through it and explain some of it because it's quite a fun passage. And one of the good things about working through a book in this way is you get to passages like this where you, uh, and we've had a few over the last few weeks, so you have to dig in and think, okay, what what does this really mean? So verse 20. Once on being asked by the Pharisees, the Pharisees were religious teachers, and uh, <clears throat> they're often interacting with Jesus, as we've seen through the book of Luke. Once being, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God <clears throat> is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you'll long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is or here he is. Don't go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking and buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, the fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Kind of fits a wet, rainy, cold day so far. Okay, we'll keep going. Um, It doesn't get any better, but just to let you know, Uh, The last line is a really good line, as we'll see. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember, Lot's wife, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on the night, two people will be in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together, one will be taking and the other left. The disciples then ask this, understandably, where? Because <laughs> it would be good not to be there on that day. Where, Lord? They asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Thus closes the reading. It's complicated. Read a book. Um, worship now. What is going on in this story? Well, we'll go back through it in a few minutes. Um, one of the things, and what I want us to really focus on, one of the things that the gospel writers are trying to do in each of the gospels is to convey to the audience that Jesus really is the one who's come from God. And that the kingdom of God, something which had been promised to the whole Old Testament, that one day God will send his rule. God will send what's right, the, the things that how God wants life to work. One day that will come on earth. And what Luke is doing throughout much of his writing is trying to give, trying to convey, look, this is happening now. And obviously that's where this story begins with the (coughs) Pharisees saying, where is the kingdom? When are we going to see this? And often what's happening is they haven't quite worked Jesus out. It's a case of mistaken identity. And as I started looking at this theme Um, It reminded me of a story that happened, true story, happened some years ago on BBC 24 News Channel, Um, a case of mistaken identity. There's a gentleman, uh, he was from the Republic of Congo, 
um, spoke English but with quite a thick French accent. Uh, he'd come for a job interview uh, on data processing with the BBC. He's sitting in reception. His name's Guy Gomer, and he's happily waiting for his job interview, a little nervous. Meanwhile, there's a court case coming up with Apple and some uh, recording rights that they own. And a, guy, and a gentleman called Guy Cooney uh, was waiting to be interviewed. He was an expert on this court case, and he was going to be interviewed on the news. He's waiting in a different part of the BBC building. And you can guess what happened. The producer for 24-hour news comes out to reception and uh, asks for Guy, to which our friend from the Congo says, well, I'm here what, for an interview. Yes, I'm here for an interview. Uh, so Guy Goma dutifully follows the producer, thinks it's a little odd when he's heading for a job interview that they apply makeup to him in a little room, but he sits there and takes the makeup and thinks, not quite sure why I need makeup for my job interview. I thought I looked okay. But anyway, they put the makeup on. He then follows the producer through into quite a lit room where there's a lady sitting behind a desk. And he sits down, thinks he's a bit odd for a job interview. And then the <coughs> panic sets in as he looks around and realizes there are several television cameras. And this is not a job interview. He's being asked questions about Apple and this ownership rights uh, of music um, live on 24-hour television. And you can watch this happen. It's still on YouTube. You can watch this happen as the look on his face of panic as he realizes this isn't a job interview. If it is, it's a pretty weird way of doing it. And he's on live TV news. You can also watch as he does a valiant job of trying to answer questions he hasn't got a clue about. <laughs> the, the interviewer's face, as she thinks, I thought we would be given an expert. This guy doesn't seem to know much, because he answers every question, but doesn't actually say anything, really. <laughs> and you can watch the news reporter, who's obviously got an earpiece, and the producers kind of cut, cut, finish, at least you guess that's what's happening, as they realise their mistake. Meanwhile, Guy Cooney is somewhere else in the building, wondering when on earth anyone's going to come and get him. A question of fantastic mistaken identity. And the thing that we're going to look through this morning <clears throat> is actually the Pharisees were doing this with Jesus a little bit. And actually we can do the same. And we need to let this passage convey to us the full sense of who Jesus is. Let me explain what I mean as we work through this. <clears throat> so simply keep the reading up there, James, verses 20 to 21. We're just going to work through. So the Pharisees are asking, when will this promised kingdom appear? Uh, when will it happen? Um, and if you look at some of the, <coughs> the promises of what God had said, he promised there would be a time when justice will come, when there will be righteousness on the earth, when God's enemies and all of those who are against him will be destroyed. God will come and bring justice and righteousness. Israel as a nation will be made great again. And the expectation was this will look a little bit like when King David was around. And King David <coughs> led Israel to a time of great victory in battle after battle. Uh, the temple, he had planned to build a temple and then Solomon comes and God is worshipped and at the heart of Jerusalem. They were kind of imagining a time like this. This story in the Gospels has followed right after what we looked at last week when the lepers were healed. Um, and clearly, they're beginning to think, hang on, Jesus is healing, he's teaching, he's talking about the kingdom, um, but we're not seeing our enemies destroyed. We're not seeing righteousness come in the way that we would. We've still got Rome oppressing us. So Jesus talks about the kingdom, Jesus is healing, he's clearly powerful, 
um, but he's the son of a carpenter. There's nothing military happening here. There's no army. There's no soldiers. This really doesn't look like we think it should. So where is the kingdom? That's why they're asking. It's a question they ask several times. Jesus' answer is mystifying. He says, you can't see it. You can't observe it. It's not something you'll see, um, but it's here. Hang on a minute. What, what do you mean? What Jesus is actually saying, because you could see signs of the kingdom. So as I said last week, the lepers were healed because the kingdom has come. Actually, evil is being overcome, but it's not the evil of an oppressing political power or the evil <coughs> of war or those kind of things. Jesus is actually overcoming the works that sin <coughs> and the enemy, Satan, has caused. We saw that when we looked at the big story some weeks ago. So the kingdom has come. It's here, but it's not something you'll see and touch, Pharisees, in the way that you think it is. It's a question of mistaken identity. You're looking for it, but it doesn't look how you think it will look. It's right in the middle of you. It's within your grasp, one translation says. Because what he's saying is, and what they don't realize, is not only is the kingdom here, but the king is here. I've healed the sick. It was some lepers just before this story. That's what Luke wants us to understand. It's not random that that story appears just before this. Now, the kingdom is very much here. It's right amongst you. It's within your grasp. You could actually hold me. That's the kingdom. But because you're looking for something else, because you're desiring something else, you can't actually see it. It's not observable in the way you want. Then, verses 22 through to 24, Jesus then takes this as an opportunity to teach the disciples and turns to his disciples and talks to them about the Son of Man. Now, what is this Son of Man? Just to explain that. It's an expression which uh, some of us will be familiar with. We know Jesus uses it about himself. It actually comes from a particularly a passage in the Old Testament. We can put that up if you want. Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel, who's a prophet, has a dream. Um, and that's where this phrase, Son of Man, comes from. I won't read all the verses, they're there behind you. But in this dream, Daniel sees one like a Son of Man. In other words, a person, but this person has incredible uh, power uh, as in the presence of God, and they establish a kingdom that will rule forever and ever and ever. And some of what the Pharisees had been asking, hang on, if there's a Son of Man, and if there's this kingdom which will never be conquered, where is it? That's, this is one of the passages that sets their expectations of what Jesus, if he is this king, should look like. So knowing that the disciples will be confused when Jesus says, well, you can't see it, but it's here, knowing that disciples will be asking, well, hang on a minute, what do you mean, and what about the Son of Man? Jesus immediately kind of answers the questions which they're probably asking and starts talking about the Son of Man, which is linked to the kingdom of God. The other phrase which Jesus then picks up in these verses, back to 22 to 24, he talks about in that day. And just to explain the significance of that, the Son of Man, the Kingdom of God, and then a phrase called the Day of the Lord are all things which run through the Old Testament when it talks about God coming to act, God coming to bring justice, God coming to overcome evil. There'll be the Day of the Lord. That's just how it gets talked about in terms of when God comes. So lots of Israel are waiting for the kingdom or the Son of Man or the Day of the Lord. Does that make sense? All three of those things are slightly different but are describing the same sort of thing. When the Messiah comes, he'll be the Son of Man. He'll bring justice and righteousness. There'll be strength and power because our enemies will be overcome. 
So that's what the Son of Man is referring to, and Jesus wants to explain to his disciples. So let's look at what he explains. He says this, I know you long to see that day. I know you long to see the day of the Son of Man. What day? Well, the day when justice comes, the day when God acts. I know you've been longing. You've got all these prophecies from the Old Testament. You're oppressed by Rome at the moment. There are enemies all around us. There's wickedness on the earth. And I know you are desiring righteousness and good things. It's something which we could relate to. We long to see justice. We long to see some of our news stories. We long for the day when that evil isn't happening. We long for the day, not just globally on the news, but even with things in our own lives and pain and difficulty that we can experience, either with family or in work situations, thinking, God, please, long for righteousness, long for good to come. Don't we? We have that longing. It's not wrong that the Pharisees and the disciples wanted that. That's what Jesus is talking about. I know you want to see that day. I know you want to see when justice comes, when God acts, when the promises are fulfilled. But you're not going to see that. You won't see that. Not that day. Because something else is going to happen. <clears throat> he says, when that day happens, it will be observable. It's going to be like lightning across the sky. That's sometimes one of the difficulties with this passage, and those of you who know the Bible well, will know that this passage and others like it get interpreted literally. And people think, well, literally, when Jesus comes, there'll be flashes of lightning and the whole earth will see it. Jesus is talking in poetry here. He's just told the Pharisees it's not observable at the moment in the way they think it will be. But on another day, when the Son of Man comes, as has been prophesied, I'll talk about that in a minute, on that day, it will be observable. There'll be lightning, it will be like lightning. Everyone will see. Won't mean literally lightning. But when the light sky lights up with light, you see it, it's observable. You know there's a storm. Jesus says it will be like that. It's not observable now. This is a different day. But one day it will be. And then he says this but first, before that, before this happens, the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected. And this is the bit which we know, we know about Jesus' death on the cross. We know what Jesus is talking about. Of course, his audience would have had no idea. They hadn't put all the prophecies together. They hadn't realized that Isaiah talks about one from God who will suffer. They hadn't joined this up. They thought when the one from God comes, it will be the day of the Lord. It will be the Son of Man coming to reign powerfully. Jesus says, no, first, the Son of Man's going to suffer. The Son of Man will be rejected by this generation. They're asking questions about where he is, what's his kingdom like, but they will reject me. So what Jesus is saying, here's the key to the passage, is there are two days of the Son of Man. Not literal 24-hour days, but days as in phases or seasons, if you like. There's a day when he comes, the day here, now, where the sick are healed, where there is justice in people's individual lives, Rome won't get overthrown, but the power of evil will be broken, where there is love, mercy, and compassion. It's the Son of Man. He's not coming with the kind of political power or military power that people thought he would, but the day has come. And then there'll be another day after he's suffered, risen to heaven, ruling over everything. There'll be another day when he comes back. And everyone will see. It will be like lightning. There are two days, if you like. Two comings of the Son of Man. You with me so far? That's what Jesus is saying. 
Pharisees, where is it? Where's this day? So it's here, but you can't observe it. Disciples, (laughs) hang on, we thought, she said, let me explain. Oh, yeah, I know you want that day. You won't see that. That's going to be another day. But first I've got to suffer. That's what's going on here. And Jesus then goes on and explains what that second day will look like. And it's not great. He uses Old Testament examples, stories of when God's judgment came suddenly with Noah. It's not time this morning to look at those stories in detail. But basically because there was so much wickedness, rebellion, evil against God, not simply politically or how kings were ruling, but in people's individual lives and in families. Terrible things going on. And God looked and said, this is not how I made my world. This is not how it should be. I will start again. And even though there was warning after warning after warning, people did not listen. They carried on building. They carried on drinking. They carried on eating. And then the flood came. And it was gone. Jesus said, it will be like that. That day you long for, it will be like Noah. Or like Sodom, where again, wickedness and evil and terrible things, totally against God and God being ignored. It will be like that. People, even though there's warnings, even though people know I've spoken, even though they've got stories of what I'm doing, even though they've got what we would call the scriptures, they're just going about their business. They're in their fields. They're on their rooftops. They're cooking, eating. They're working. They don't care about me. Then suddenly, it will come. Suddenly, there will be judgment. And God, Jesus is making it clear. There's one day now, and it looks like you're seeing, with a sicker hilt, there's mercy. The marginalized are brought in. I'm not interested in the religious rulers. They're rejecting me, but I'll go for those who don't know. I'll go for those who are broken. I'll go for those who need to be included. There's that day now, but there'll be another day when I come, and it will be like what happened with Noah. It'll be like what happened with Lot. And when it talks about one being taken, there'll be two in bed and one will be taken. One's taking grain, another will be taken. All kinds of books have been written, primarily from America, about how literally this will be and how you don't want to be on a plane and the pilot's suddenly taken. Um, It doesn't mean literally at all. What Jesus is talking about is the suddenness. How it will seem like you went to bed and there were two of you, you woke up in the morning and there's one of you. The suddenness and the scale And the fact that everyone will be affected and everyone will know and there's no escape. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's using picture language to convey something incredibly sobering and incredibly powerful. God will come with justice. The Son of Man, Jesus, will come and bring justice across the earth. That's going to happen. What has been promised will come, says Jesus. The longing we have for justice, the desire for the world to be put right, the desire for evil, even though Jesus has conquered it in his death and resurrection, the fact that there is still evil working, and we long for God to end it. He will end it. He will come with justice, and no one will be able to argue with him and say, but that's not fair, because in his holiness and righteousness, he will come and make the world right. But it will be a time of when people are taken and don't get to know his mercy anymore. So beginning to understand this, we need to know that judgment is part of the story. God bringing justice, overcoming evil, is part of the big story that we looked at. It came up again and again. We see it here with Noah and Lot and then other incidents running through. Last week, 
when we were thanking God for uh, those families and children, I took us to the beginning of the story and said, look, there's some things at the beginning that are really important about family, about community. This is also part of the story. Things we see that run through the story that point to the end that are just as important, that God will bring justice and righteousness. There will be judgment. As for verse 37, when the disciples say, where? And Jesus talks about death and vultures. Um, One commentator in particular thought, and I, I think they're right on this very helpfully, that actually this could be referring to a very specific time of God's judgment. Vulture is the same word as eagle. Eagle is the symbol of Rome. And in AD 70, just a few years really from the time when Jesus was speaking, uh, Jerusalem and the temple were totally ransacked. And what the Pharisees would have treasured, what the religious people would have said, this is the sign that we're gods, this is where it all happens, the things that they used to make themselves kind of exclusive and say we're the chosen people and totally misunderstood what God has said and what his his purpose was was there was an act really of God's judgment and Jerusalem was ransacked and so some commentators think actually Jesus is now applying this also to that event there's a day when the son of man will come and it will be all over the earth but also it will happen here in Jerusalem now whether or not that specifically go with that in terms of what happened historically um, I think it fits greatly. There are other things in Luke and the Gospels where Jesus is pointing to what will happen in Jerusalem. But needless to say, the whole passage is about a sober, the sober reality of God coming to judge. So that's what Jesus is talking about. That's what the passage means, the Son of Man, the two different days. You with me so far? So what do we do with all of this? It'd be nice to do a bit more than just leave it there. Well, (coughs) we need to realize then we are living between the two days. We're living between that first day, the Son of Man came, healing, mercy, forgiveness, inclusion for those who believe, for those who put their trust and their faith in him. And the next day when he will come again and judgment will come. That's where we're living. We're living between those two days. And we need to live in a way that bridges or holds both of them and make sure that we don't do a mistaken identity on who Jesus is. You see, we understand the full gospel in the light of those two days. This is what makes the gospel such good news. This is why it is good news. Because that first day Jesus came to provide a way that you didn't have to be judged. Jesus, he says, look, before that day, I will suffer and I will be rejected. You see, in Jesus' suffering, in Jesus' death on the cross, he endured God's anger. If you like, he was judged in our place. He shouldn't have been judged. He hadn't done anything wrong. He is not guilty. He's the pure one. He's the pure lamb. But he was judged first, if you like. He received God's wrath and anger in our place in order that in that day which lasts until he comes again there's a way that you can by putting your faith in him not be judged that's what makes the gospel good news that's what we can celebrate the gospel isn't only about 
his love, his acceptance, fulfillment, or rescued from sin. It's also about being saved from judgment. Saved from that day. That that's a day we won't have to endure because we've put our faith and trust in Jesus. <clears throat> the Pharisees were wanting the kingdom and Jesus on their terms. They wanted it to look like <clears throat> fit their ends, Rome being overthrown, military power, political kingdom in that way. That's why they didn't want to accept Jesus. That's why they didn't understand who Jesus was or what he was doing. Actually, <clears throat> we can do the same today. We can define Jesus on our terms, that mistaken identity thing. We love the Jesus who heals the sick. We love the Jesus who cares for the marginalized. We love the Jesus that will accept us and comfort us, put his arm around us, encourage us. All of those things, Jesus does all of them. No one does them like Jesus does. And we love that Jesus. But we don't talk about the other Jesus when the Son of Man comes again. We don't like talking about that one so much. We don't like talking about that day. We talk about this day. Talk about the day which we now live now. Acceptance and love and mercy and healing. Of course we should talk about that day. Of course we should worship and thank him. Of course we should pray for the sick to be healed. Celebrate the fact that no matter what you have been through this week, his comfort and grace and peace is for you. Because of that day, because of his suffering, because of what he went through, we can live now in that day knowing that we're with him. But we can't do that to the exclusivity of not thinking about the other day. That this Jesus, who in this day came as a humble king on a donkey, in that day, Revelation says, will come on a white horse to judge. It's the same king. It's the same son of man. It's the same kingdom. It's the same Jesus. But we don't talk about that day so much. But this is what makes this day such good news. This is what means we can worship because he has rescued us. God will bring justice. He will bring it in the end. He'll say, right, enough now. This day of knowing there is mercy and grace has gone on for long enough. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew that this second day will only come when the whole earth has heard about the first one. That's what he says. I'm not going to come. I'm not going to bring that. I'm going to delay. That day will be delayed until everyone's had a chance to hear. Until everyone's had a chance to know. That's mercy. That's grace. I'm not going to come again. I'm waiting. When everyone knows, then I'll come. You see, this doesn't really fit with 21st century life in the West. It's not nice talking about these things. And the danger is in <coughs> wanting to be culturally coherent, wanting people to get what we believe, wanting people to understand, is that we can <coughs> convey a message which really doesn't convey Jesus in his true identity and doesn't give a sense of who Jesus really is. We want to end up defining it on our terms. Certainly the 21st century does. The amount of times I've heard references recently, either in news articles from prominent people or even in a TV comedy program, just caught the end of it before the news not long ago. I won't even tell you what it was. It's not a terribly nice program. And in saying that, some of you may actually find it incredibly funny and, and, and like it, so that's why I won't say who it is. But it kind of finished by making a point about love and was talking in terms of relationships and gender and everything else and talking about how, well, it, if it's love, it's absolutely fine. And how Jesus, who was love himself, Jesus would not object. 
even the good man Jesus. And I, I'm just taken aback. It was not the line you were expecting. You didn't think the comedy was going to go there. You didn't think just before the credits, the closing lines, we'd be talking about Jesus' love. But it was Jesus' love in a sense of it's lovely and, and anything goes, really, because it's love. That's where our culture is. If it's love, then it's fine, isn't it? Because love is pure. Love is lovely. And so to talk about judgment, to talk about another day, to talk that doesn't fit a God of love. That doesn't talk, that doesn't (coughs) illustrate forgiveness. Surely love means forgiveness. So okay, if God is coming back, well, he'll just forgive us, won't he? And for a number of reasons, this message can be offensive to the 21st century. And the church is in real danger of wanting to accommodate that and only talking about one day and not talking about the other. We need to let passages like this, we need to let the words of Jesus define who Jesus is for us. We're not at liberty to pick and choose. We're not at liberty to photo-touch the Jesus in the Gospels. We're not at liberty to airbrush bits out and say, let's just focus on these things and leave the rest out. What about the issue of love? But surely it's not loving, is it? Well, the thing is, what we've done in our culture is separated love from righteousness. You see, love in and of itself isn't necessarily always good. Love can be distorted. Love isn't pure in and of itself. Love with righteousness is. There's only one who loves like that, and that's God and God himself. And you separate love out from righteousness. You separate love out from how God designed it, and it ends up really as an emotion or a feeling or as an expression of how someone feels to to someone else, and anyone can define what it is. Love has to be defined by God himself. We need to let Jesus define himself. We need to let Jesus define love. We need to let Jesus define justice. See, this is the Jesus who we follow. This is the Jesus who we're to make known. Yeah, of course we make known the Jesus who on this day suffered so we couldn't. That's what, so we, so we wouldn't have to. That's what the good news is. Of course we make that day known. But you only understand the true power and awesomeness of that if you know there is another day where God will say justice is going to come now and justice is going to come over the whole earth and I had that day in order that people could know my love my grace freedom from wickedness and evil themselves you can know that now but the fullness of justice is going to come in this day and when you know that when you bring both together when you let Jesus stand in a place truly of who he is, the one who laid his life down and was judged, but the one who will come back to judge, then that is a message to proclaim. That is a message that brings the full power of what he has done for us. You see, he has defined love because in that day he suffered. He has defined what it is to sacrifice and lay his life down because he suffered in our place. He was rejected by the very people he came to save. He endured the pain of death on the cross, taking God's wrath so we don't have to. There's no greater definition of love than that. He came in that day and showed love. So how do we live then between these two days? Let's make sure we don't squeeze Jesus into a culturally acceptable mold or an identity, just so that he can be more accepted. Let him define himself. And how then do we live? Well, this, of course, is why we worship. What we'll do in a few minutes. This is why we'll worship. 
yeah, we'll sing about his mercy and his grace for us. But we do it not only because it feels good, not only because of the fulfillment or the comfort we have, but knowing in the right sense of being sober that we've been rescued from his judgment. See, when we worship knowing that too, it brings a whole other depth to our songs and our devotion to him. I'm not only singing songs because I've known you with me this week. I'm not only worshipping because I've known your strength this week. They're reasons enough. Just who Jesus is is reasons enough. But I'm also singing because you have rescued me. And I never have to know, never have to face that day. That's why we worship. As Paul says, there's no condemnation. For those of you this week who may be, or not just this week, but have have ongoing kind of struggles of thinking, well, I'm just not good enough. I'm just not making it. Jesus did all this for me, and I'm just not living good enough for him. Wrong thing to think. You never will without knowing first that he's done it all for you. It's from the place of knowing that he has paid the price. There is no condemnation. That's what Paul says. Such was the power of what Jesus did on this day. There's no condemnation now. As we've said before, please don't wait two or three songs until you feel a bit better and feel you can now worship. Now, there's no condemnation. You don't have to face that day. You're not going to turn up and God say, well, justice is coming. um, Let's do your report then. Well, you repented on such and such a day. You did well for a while. And then after that, your devotion slackened off and everything else. No, that day has taken care of everything you have done. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's why we worship. (coughs) But this is also what we have to proclaim. This is also what we need to talk about. See, Jesus said to the disciples at the end of Luke, not wanting to go there too early. You've got a few weeks before we get there. But right at the end of Luke, Jesus says, look, all of these things had to happen. I had to suffer. All of these things had to happen in order that repentance and forgiveness can be preached to all peoples. When you talk about Jesus, when we demonstrate Jesus to others, make sure we're doing it with both days in mind. Yeah, a Jesus who came a Jesus who comes with peace, with comfort, with healing, but a Jesus who came to rescue us. Because one day justice will come. Our, commun- our society, genuinely, for good reasons, is asking questions about justice and what's happening in the world and wants justice. That gives us a phenomenal opportunity to say, well, actually, I do believe in a God who will bring justice, but it will be on his terms. And the way that works is by knowing that on this day, Jesus died on this day. Jesus paid the price in order that we can know his justice now. And in order that when he comes again and makes the world right, we know that we are already rescued. Make sure we convey the full gospel of what Jesus did. This is what needs to be proclaimed. For some of you, in terms of how do you live between the two days, some of you, you may simply need to make a decision. You've heard about Jesus, you know what I've talked about in terms of that day, why he came. You know that sense of the gospel, if you like, the gospel message that Jesus died for us. Well, knowing that there'll be another day means you've got a decision to make. That generation, the very Pharisees who asked Jesus, where's the kingdom, rejected him. We don't like you, you don't fit what we are looking for. 
You need to know the reason why you have to decide and can't just kind of go along taking the bits you like. It's because there will be a day where God will come again and those that know Jesus will be with him forever and those who don't will be taken like those on the roof. And it comes as a surprise. It comes as a shock. You can think, well, I'm fine. There's time. No, Jesus is saying to the disciples, no, there isn't time. You don't know when that day will come. It will come suddenly and you will be taken. Is that meant to scare us? No. Is that meant to put pressure on us and manipulate us? No. It's simply meant to wake us up to the fact that things will not carry on just as they are. God will come to act. So therefore, decide. One way or another. Jesus, you're who you said you are in everything. Not just one who came and sacrificed, but one who will come again as the reigning king and ruler to judge the earth. And my life then belongs to you. That's the decision we make.